I want to talk to you about one other thing. Uh, it's kind of two other things, but uh, it's, it's really one idea. Uh, I want to encourage you to leave your phones at home or in your car, especially if you're undisciplined and you know who you are, um, and bring your Bibles to church. Leave your phones, bring your Bibles. I know some of you are super important, and so you say, I, I can't leave my phone uh, you're waiting for that important phone call from a mortgage broker that wants to give you a personal loan or something like that. Or maybe it's for your car insurance or to get a, a warranty for your car uh, that's ran out and you need that. Uh, I, I just want to encourage you that in, during this time, especially if you have a tough time focusing, some of us are addicted to our phones and uh, it's a bit of an idolatry and we're constantly checking in and we're wondering if somebody text us or something like that. I just encourage you to just leave it out in the car or at home. Um, I'm sure whatever is so important, uh, it'll still be there uh, when, when you get done with church. Um, and, and to bring your Bibles, to bring your Bibles, to have a relationship uh, with a physical copy of the scriptures that you can see it and that you can interact um, I just want to encourage you. If, if you forget your Bible, we always have ones in the uh, chairs in front of you. But I want to encourage you about that. Um, I, I wish that this was, and I wish that this was just a problem for young people, but it's not, but it's not. And so I say it in the first service as well as the second service, okay? Uh, for men and women, uh, boys and girls of all ages. Uh, so I just wanted to share that with you. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. This morning we're going to continue to talk about why we celebrate Jesus. <laughs> and, and along with that, I was thinking about the place that you live. If, if somebody asked you about the place that you live, and uh, most of us have lived another place before we moved to this place, and maybe some of you don't live in this place, you live someplace else and you're just visiting, we're grateful you're here. But where do you live? And if somebody would ask you, uh, tell me about the place that you live. Uh, some of you would be great realtors and you could explain the greatness of the place that you live. Um, you could describe to them and, and in detail about the place that you live. But where do you live? What, what's it like? What is your life like in the place that you live? What is the life that you've built there? What is the life you've been blessed there? How does it work? You know, what is the culture like? Um, and in that place that you live, that situation that you're a part of, who is in charge in the place that you live? And don't say your wife, okay? Um, but uh, who is in charge? Who is governing that? Who is the one that is in charge with how it goes? Um, Maybe they would even ask, you know, what, what are the freedoms that you have there in that place that you live? Is it a good life or is it a bad life in that place where you live? We'll be talking about this today. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, going down uh, through verse 14. God's word says this. Paul writes, he says, uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Uh, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of, <coughs> of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it is also does among you uh, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9. And so, uh, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, uh, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, I ask your blessing on your word as we look at it now. Help us to understand it clearly. Help it to mark us, change us, transform us. Uh, God, thank you for the gospel that changes everything. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this passage, this section, it's obviously at the beginning, chapter 1, and, and Paul is praying, thanking praising God for what he, God has done in their lives. And I think that that's an important picture for us. I think so often uh, we, we want to talk about our day, we want to talk about our week, we want to talk about our career, we want to talk about our family. And as we talk about them, sometimes we're the hero of our own story. Let me tell you how great I was, or am. Depending on where you stand right now, you know, if you look to the past, I, I used to be great. You know, let me tell you about it. Um, or, or maybe you think you're great now, and so uh, you're, you're talking about the things that you do right now. Or maybe uh, uh, you, you want to be made great again. Made great again. You have a red hat or something like that that says that. Um, we like to make a big deal out of us. We like to make a big deal out of our family. We like to make a big deal and put on display what comes to a credit to us. And yet as you look at this passage, I, I just want to encourage you, the big deal of us is what God has done in us and what he is doing in us and, and the, the, the change that he has brought. And as you think about that, uh, this is where uh, we are going. It's God's work in the Colossian church. And as we are here this morning, I, I want to encourage you to put in perspective that, that what there is to pray about, praise about, and what is the, the difference that is made is all the work of God in you. And if he's not done a work in you, uh, we should uh, you know, ask him to do that work even today, even today. The work of God. And so we start out in verse 3 and we're th Paul is thankful for the prior and permanent work of salvation in them. 
verse 3, uh, he says, we thank God, we thank God, and he connects the Father with the Son uh, as he thanks him, and why is he thanking him? Well, he's thanking him for the work that he's done, and, and in verse 4, you see him talking about, we heard of your faith, we heard of your faith. Um, it's interesting, if you look at this passage and you, you look at this section where he's thanking God for past and permanent, uh, what God has done prior to them, and, and he's saying, I, I've seen it, I've heard it, I've heard it from others. Uh, there's evidence of your faith. There, we, we've heard the stories of what God has done in your life. I'm thankful uh, to have been around for a long time. Uh, here at Bear Valley Church, and I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen God change you. You've seen God change me. Uh, This is what he does. Uh, It's usually dramatic at the beginning and and subtle, but definite and, and, you know, needed in the days ahead, right? That God changes us. I want to tell you that you need some changing, and I need some changing. It wasn't, you know, I was perfect and then I added Christ to my life. No, I was a disaster. I came to know Christ and he's continued the work in me that he would change me. And so uh, as he thanks God for what he's done in the Colossian church, he, he said, I, I heard of the, your true faith. I, I, I've heard of the change that God brought about in your life through Jesus. And then he goes on and he, he says, I've heard of what God has done. And, and that came because you heard, if you look in the middle of verse 5, you heard of the truth. And he says the truth again, uh, moving on into verse 6. And, and this truth, it's the truth of the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel is the grace of God. The heart of the gospel is the grace of God. I think so often we miss that. And you say, miss the grace of God? Yeah. Sometimes we think, well, I need to be a good person. I need to change my ways. I've been sinning and I'm going to stop sinning and I'm going to work really hard so that God can change my life. And I want to say, that's not the gospel. That's the lame thing you were following before. I'll be good enough in and of myself. I'll, I'll do it on my own. The gospel is this, that we weren't good enough for God, that we were failing over and over again, that we were dirty and sinful, and that God loved us even so, even so, and that coming to him, we accept his free gift of the gospel, the grace that we do not deserve, the kindness that we do not deserve. Uh, That is what we accept in the gospel. If you look at the end of uh, verse 8, <laughs> he says this. He says um, that Epaphras, he talked about Epaphras who was ministering to them. He's a faithful minister to them. And that he had reported back. And what did he report back? That, that they had in them the spirit prompted love. That once again, uh, Paul was hearing from Epaphras The change that God brought in their life, what is it? The Spirit of God working in them, that they were filled with love. 
What is it before you come to faith in Jesus? What is the love that you have inside of you? It's love of self, right? It's a love of what's good for me. It's a love of the things that are good for me. It's the love of the things that, that make me feel love that I love in and of myself. But the change that's brought is as God works in our life, He saves our soul. The Spirit of God is now in the life of the believer and it changes their heart to have that same love that God had for them uh, that it flows out from them to the others uh, that they know. And so they, he heard and he saw and he was praising God for the spirit-prompted love in them. Which brings us to my second point. Uh, this morning we, we looked at the, that he was thankful for the prior and permanent salvation that they had. And, and now we look at verse 9, we see a, a new prayer, really an ongoing prayer, a prayer for understanding of steps ahead, steps ahead. And, and I think about that and I think, you know, that's a, that's a prayer for today and the days, the next days, right? The, the ones that are coming. And, and so he, he switches in verse 9 and he says, um, and you know, as I heard of you, I heard of you and what you were doing, this Colossian church. Um, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And uh, this isn't a prayer of thanksgiving. He'd already prayed thanking God for what he had done. Now he's asking God for something. And he says, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's now the prayer that, uh, that they would move on. I, I think that this is one of the hardest things in the Christian life. You, you come to faith in Jesus. Uh, you, you accept Christ. You uh, believe in the message of the gospel that that's changed. And not just believing in a sense of like, yeah, I agree with that. But like you say, yes, this is what I want. And then you say, well, I, I know how to live like I used to live. I, I know that well. There's habits and patterns, and I've seen it in my parents and my family. I know it in my life. I have the pictures to prove it. It's the simple way to go back to the old life. But now there's this uh, change of ownership. You have a new Lord. You're not the Lord anymore. Uh, you have this new Lord, this new boss, this new uh, one who your life is centered around. And what he's praying for them is this, that they would have understanding <coughs> of now the will of God and that they would be able to discern and to have spiritual wisdom and understanding to know about what God has for their new life. Verse 10, he connects it with that they would have a knowledge of his will, but that that knowledge of his will, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That your life now would not reflect the old person, the selfishness and love of self that you had, but now it would reflect your Savior. That you'd walk in a manner worthy. And it's this idea that you would understand the will of God, what he has for you, so that you could walk in it. And, and that, that life that you now live would reflect the goodness of your Savior he goes on to describe what that will look like. 
what that new life will look like. And maybe some of you are struggling with this today. What is my life supposed to look like? How am I supposed to live? What will it produce in me? Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, listen to this, fully pleasing to him. I've already shared this, but what did the old life look like? Trying to please self, right? You know. Um, I I think that much of life is like going into uh, one of the fast food uh, joints of our world today. And you look at, you know, I think of some of the restaurants that, that we go to. There's hundreds of things on the menu. And you stand there and you go, hmm, what do I want to eat today? And you go through this process and you're having this inner discussion of like, what do I want? And you say, well, I want onion rings, of course, because I love onion rings and they're the perfect food, (laughs) except they're deep fried and maybe I shouldn't have, like, and you go through this inner consultation of yourself and it's not just with food, it's with everything. You wake up in the morning and you say, hmm, what do I want to do today? What should I do? Or maybe you go to the store and you say, what do I want to buy? How do I want, you know, how do I want to live my life? Where do I want to go? What do I, you know, and, and there's all this thing centered upon your own decisions. And he says that, that that's not what it is to walk with Christ. That's not the will of the Father worked out in you. It's pleasing Him. It's pleasing Him. It's now asking the question, joyfully asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? How do you want me to live this life that I can be pleasing to you? And so he says, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, the second thing he tells us, he says, uh, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. Uh, I, I look at this, and as he describes it, he says, um, he, he says, bearing fruit in every good work, the things that we do, increasing in the knowledge of God. And so there's this, this picture of a life that bears fruit and knows God better in the days ahead. There's this, it's pleasing to him, but it's also bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit in the things that you do, but it's also bearing fruit in you as you know him better. Bearing fruit. This is the life that is walking in a manner worthy. So pleasing him, bearing fruit. And thirdly, I think that this is an important piece to understand as well. He prays for them. In verse 11, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, full for all endurance and patience with joy. As you look at that, you take a step back, he says, what is he talking about? He's saying that the patient endurance and joyful trotting along one step at a time. Uh, I think so often um, the, the beginning is fun, Right? The starting of a project is exciting. The idea of finishing strong is the hard thing, right? Sometimes the path feels too long. 
Sometimes you, you wake up another day and you say, hey, they're still there. Those problems are still there. I left them there and I was hoping that someone would come and steal them in the night and yet they were there. They were there and they're still there. And, and I want to tell you, as you, you desire to walk in a manner worthy, there is a sense of tiring and, and there is a sense of, uh, of the path being too long. And so he prays for them that they would understand the steps ahead, but also that they would have the strength to keep going, to keep going, that they would not give up. If you look at verse 12, he he ends this, this idea of the prayer for them. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, you know, and I don't want to discourage anybody about their projects, but uh, um, how many of you have started something and then uh, you didn't finish? I just wanted that confession to everyone. You're in good. I feel better knowing that I'm with you and you're with me and uh, starters but not finishers. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I was talking to one of my favorite guys, Zach Lacombe, this week, and we were talking about a to-do lists. How many of you have to-do lists? And, and some of you have learned all those things where you go, oh, you got to make a list of things you, you need to do, and you, you put them on your list, and, and then you keep looking at your list, and uh, how many of you get a great thrill when you cross something off? Great thrill. Yeah. Oh, man. Super fun. Um, get up. Ha! Drink my cup of coffee. I'm a finisher, you know. Uh, um, but uh, as you think about that list and as you think about starting things, and, 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 and the problem is just because it gets on your list doesn't mean that it's worthy of your life. Doesn't mean that it's important. It was maybe important to you when you put it on there, right? And maybe you've even invested time and energy and you're halfway through and you stand back and you say, ah, this isn't going that well. Or this isn't as important as I thought it was. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. There are things that we start that we shouldn't finish or aren't worthy of us finishing. I'm trying to encourage you here. Uh, but as we look at this, I, I want you to get this. Watch how he's doing this. He first prays for the beginning of their salvation, their prior and permanent salvation. And now he's praying for them as they're on the road from this day forward that they would understand his will and that that will would be uh, that walking in a manner worthy and that their life would now be pleasing to him and that it would be bearing much fruit and that they would have strength to keep going to, to finish why? Why? I, I want to tell you there's an inheritance waiting. There's an inheritance waiting. It is today worth it for us to keep going. No matter how hard it gets. No matter how hard it gets for you to stay faithful to the Lord. It's worth it. It's worth it. The inheritance is good. The, the promises of God when, when, when they're realized, fully realized... It will seem like the struggles of this life are nothing 
because of the, the riches that we receive from God. I hope that's encouraging to you today. Not about your projects at home, but about your walk with the Lord. That's worth it. Some of you are going through difficult times right now and you're struggling. Maybe, maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's some personal sin that you're struggling with. Maybe, maybe you're, you're feeling discouraged. Maybe about your health or some other things. I, I just want to tell you. I just want to tell you. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. The path may seem too long. He'll give you strength for the day. And I just want to tell you the inheritance of being with him, of having him, is worth it. It's worth it. Which gets us to verse 13. Um, and so, in <laughs> verse 13, uh, and, and I, want to, I want to just say something here. If you look at verses 13 and 14, um, I, I want you to know that this is all about you in verses 13 and 14. It is all about you. And, and as he has thanked the Lord for what he has done in the Colossian church, and he, he has thought of God's great gospel and worthy gospel of grace in Jesus Christ and what the change... And, and, and then he talks about what he wants you to do, you know, that Paul prays for the Colossian church, but this is what God has for you in the days ahead. And, and so that God would be pleased with your life, that he would bear the fruit that, that, that he has for you. What you see in verses 13 and 14 is all about you. And what I mean by that is this, and, and, and I hope you get this. I hope it can be said of us here at Bear Valley Church that we are a Christ-centered church. That what G Jesus has first and primary and, and focal point and, and worship here at Bear Valley Church. I hope that that happens every week. I hope that happens every time we meet. Whether for a small Bible study and you know, just everywhere that this is all about Christ. All about Jesus. And even as we come to this season where we're celebrating the baby, right? We're celebrating the baby that we want to put on display and, and to focus our minds and hearts on Jesus. But why is that such a big deal? I think often of things like this and we watch the news or you, you see some article or you hear of someone's great fortune. You know, something happens to them. I remember years ago, uh, um, there was a, a, a baseball player that wasn't that good. Like he was struggling to make it. Uh, he was way better than I am, a little bit. But, uh, um, but he, he was, you know, in the minor leagues and and uh, his grandmother had had a piece of property. His grandmother had a piece of property that she died, she passed away, and she left to him. And they found this particular mineral or rock or something on that that was really special and very valuable. And it made him a billionaire. It made him a billionaire. And I remember hearing that story, and I thought, that's pretty interesting. I dream of having that someday. You know, where would that be in Bear Valley Springs, that piece of land that had, you probably couldn't dig on it anyways, or uh, couldn't build on it. You couldn't make it white, your house white on that. Uh, but um, 
You think about, but when you hear of somebody else's fortune, it's a nice story to hear, but it really doesn't impact your life because it's not you. It's not yours. It's not yours. I want to tell you verses 13 and 14 are about the work of Christ, but it's about the work of Christ in you, in you. And so as I think about celebrating Jesus, I think about verses 13 and 14 and the excitement that should come and the excitement that you should bring to your family. You should bring that to your family, even if they don't get it, because you get it, because verses 13 and 14 are all about you and the work that Christ has done on your behalf. Let's talk about it. And there are two places everyone lives. There are two places where everyone, you're either in one place or another. There's only two. And as you look at this passage, verse 13, there's only two places where everyone lives. Let's look at them. It says, uh, you know, in kind of conclusion to these prayers, he says this. He has delivered us from home number one, the domain of darkness, and transferred us to number two, to the kingdom of his beloved son. Those are the two places. Domain of darkness, kingdom of his beloved son. That's one of your homes right now. This is, there's only two options here. Uh, some of you think you, you can do your own thing. Nope. One of these two places is where you live. It's where you reside. That's where your soul is. That's where your person is. The domain of darkness or the kingdom of his beloved son. <coughs> the domain of darkness. And, and th- this idea of domain, and these are said very differently. He uses the domain as, he says, that that is the power over the power over. What is the power over you in this first home? Well, it's the power of darkness. Uh, if you look at, you know, skipping ahead just a touch, darkness is in stark contrast to, to uh, option number two, isn't it? Well, what is the ruling feeling or the, the ruling place? Or it, it, It's darkness in and of itself. It's not his beloved son, but it's the, the, the rule or being under. And, and, and I would say this about the domain of darkness. You are stuck under or stuck in. Um, maybe you, you're in a bad neighborhood or maybe you're in a bad state or maybe you're poor and you're in a situation that's dangerous to you and dark and ugly and and they're, they're, it's just a place you don't want to be, but you're stuck there. You're stuck there. And this isn't a neighborhood. This isn't even California. This is a place of your soul. It doesn't matter if you move places. You're still stuck there. In fact, that, that's one of the, the problems of this beautiful place that we live. Is there some people who are are lost and they feel it. They, they feel the domain of darkness. They feel stuck under it and they say, I just need to move. 
I need to move from that place to some place like Paradise, Bear Valley Springs. Oh. And they get here, and somehow it's a beautiful place, but they still feel that they're stuck in the domain of darkness. Because they are. Because they are. I, I, I want to just reiterate, stuck, stuck. That feeling that you can't get out. That feeling that you can't change. And it's interesting that when, when you're stuck in a place like that, you can try really hard within the domain of darkness, right? You can try really hard to change things, and yet there's just more darkness, and, and you can't get out of it. That's home number one. It's an ugly, fearful darkness. That's where we live. So that was place number one. Place number two is the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of his beloved son. And and what you get there is this, that as God has planned salvation, he loved us so much that he sent his son, right? That we could no longer live in option number one, but in option number two. The kingdom of his beloved son. And the, the wording is very different, you know. So what, what is, who is the king in the first home or the first place where you live? Well, there's really not a king, right? It's you're just stuck there. And, and you're stuck in chaos and darkness and confusion. And, and there's this, this awful feeling of unprotection, Right? Like, like not having the, the safety and the kindness and the light and the, the goodness that you so long for and deserve. And, and, and maybe you don't deserve, but this, this idea that you want it. And then he goes to option number two. He says, ah, the kingdom of his beloved son. That as God loves his son and as he shows his love to you, he brings the, you into the kingdom of his beloved son. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And it's a whole picture. I won't take the time to go through it. I kind of wanted to, but I'm not going to because I have a lot, you know, I got at least 45 minutes left of material here. Um, but uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, and, and Paul's talking about this picture once again, and he, he's talking about how great it is to be a soldier or an ambassador or apostle in his uh, army, and, and he says this, in the midst of this, he says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in the triumphal procession and, and, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And what you get here is not just our job. We, we have a job of that. But if you can picture it, there's a parade going on. And it's a victory parade. And, and it's the idea of a conquering king coming through a conquered city. But it's not a conquered city in that now you are slaves and subservient. It's, it's this idea of release. of We were under a tyrant. We were in a bad situation. In this, domain of darkness. And it, and it says the king's rolling through in a triumphal victory parade. 
And, and the reason there's thanks, there's thanks, why? Is that Christ always leads us in this triumphal procession, that we're part of the parade. Not because we were great, but because Christ won the victory and that we get to be a part of it. I'm in the parade. I'm part of the victory team. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he did on my behalf. So there's two options, the domain of darkness or the kingdom of his beloved son. I skipped over some words that I I, want to go back and get, okay? Uh, Well, kind of, in the middle of this, he uses the word transferred, transferred. Now, I know most of you, when you think of that word transferred, you think of like a job. I had this job, and then I get another job, and I'm transferred. I I move city to city, and that's, that's maybe helpful, especially if you can get a picture in your mind of the domain of darkness now in the kingdom of his beloved son. But as he, he talks about, uh, th- this word transferred is the idea of from one place to another, which um, doesn't necessarily have to be good, right? Uh, some of you have had, had transfers and you felt like you had to go and you, you left a situation that you liked and you felt comfortable and you felt rewarded to uh, another situation that wasn't that good. So transfers aren't always good. But as you see Paul writing about this, I, I have to believe that he, he was thinking about some of the great transfers that God had done of the past you think about God's people in the Old Testament, that they were in Egypt and they were slaves and they were enslaved and they, they had grown and they were, they were persecuted and made to work hard and, and God saw their plight, raised up Moses and what did he do? Took some years, unfaithfulness of God's people, but he transferred them from Egypt to the promised land. Egypt to the promised land. It's interesting, too, in that same, uh, as history goes on, that God's people were taken into a- exile a number of different times. They were taken out, and there, there was another transfer. It was back. It was a transfer back to, to the place of goodness of Jerusalem. and the, for the, They were released. And so I, I can't help but think that Paul was thinking of Egypt to the Promised Land, exiled back to Jerusalem. I can't help but think of who was Paul? Who was Paul in his own life, right? He was this, you know, wannabe, you know, important guy, persecutor of the church, you know, hater of the faith. What happened to him? Paul was going about his business. He was going, and, and there was this huge transfer that took place, right? Stopped him on the road, blinded him. And he says, you're no longer going to be in this place. I'm going to take you and I'm going to transfer you from being a persecutor to now a church planter. A planter that would be a part of his (coughs) permanent and ongoing work, eternal work of the planting of the church. I think of my own life and and, uh, many years ago as a young married man, Rebecca and I, uh, found out about this place right here and accepted a position as youth pastor. And uh, I was in the San Fernando Valley. Some of you are going, man, you were in the San Fernando Valley? 
wow, God saved you from the San Fernando Valley. It was much more dramatic than that. It was, it was just a physical thing, but, but we moved. We, we rented a house over there. We were renting an apartment down there. And, and, and we were gone for the weekend. We were gone for the weekend. And we, as we were gone, they had the Northridge earthquake. And our, our little apartment, which would have been a lot worse if we owned it, but we did not. Our little apartment uh, was condemned, was condemned. And I remember vividly moving from there to Bear Valley Springs on Pueblo Court. I remember sitting outside our house with Rebecca and, you know, you hear the birds chirping and you hear nothing else. I said, what just happened? We got transferred. We got taken from there to here. I think of my family, uh, descendants on my dad's side uh, that were in Germany during World War II and uh, they had many different trials and poverties in that and uh, the fear of the Russian soldiers. And through refugee camps in time, they came to the United States of America and they realized we left that and God's provision, he brought us here, brought us here. Maybe some of you can imagine the idea, we have a prison out here where people can't come and go. They're stuck there. Some of you work there. Some of you have been there. I remember talking to a man one time and he heard that I was from Tehachapi and he goes, oh, you're from Tehachapi. He says, I've been up to Tehachapi. And I said, oh, what were you doing there? And he says, "Uh, visiting family. I, I knew what he was talking about. I just chose to leave it right there came on Saturday to visit his family who was staying right outside the gate here. There's a prison there and and they're stuck there. They they can't get out. There's an idea that the the things that they've done have put them in a place where they can't get out. And you can imagine what that must be like if they get out, but not just get out, but go from a prison to a mansion. A prison to a mansion. And I want to say this, I want to say this, this picture of transfer is not about being in a better place here, but it's all about heaven. It's it's all about heaven. It's all about what Christ has done on our behalf by the will of God working in our life to love us so much that he would do the work in us that needed to be done so that, so that we would be with him in heaven forever. Not, not down here, not down here. This is he- heaven on earth, not even close, not even close. See, this is the transfer that takes, takes place. It goes from one stuck place to that which is under the control of his beloved son. Beloved son. I, I wanna point out one other thing in this passage. And it's kind of a list, if you will, these, these verses. <laughs> and and, and what, what these verses talk about is what God does for us, the Father does for us, that we were powerless to do in and of ourselves. Powerless. 
if you look, if you look down at the scriptures, verse 13, it says that he delivered us. He delivered us. Why didn't they just leave Egypt? Well, they couldn't. They weren't strong enough. They needed God's help. Why were they stuck in exile and been conquered? Well, they were conquered people. They showed their weakness. Why did Paul go about as a persecutor of the church? He was lost in the domain of darkness. That's why. And and insert your own story. Why didn't you do this? Why did you uh, live the sinful life that you did? Why, Why were, well, because you were stuck there. And so what did God do for you? What did Paul describe for the Colossian church? What did Paul know for himself? That God did something that he was powerless to do. What was it? He delivered him. He delivered him. There's a few other words, and we've already gone over this. He delivered us. He transferred us. He, he brought us from one place to the other. And then you look, and, and you see in verse 14, it says, in, in whom we have redemption, meaning this, that he redeemed us. He redeemed us. It's a picture of freedom, but also slavery to freedom, right? It's the idea of the purchase price. It's the idea of making the payment that we could not make. And it's the slavery that we were in and we were stuck in and that he redeemed us. How did he redeem us? Through the blood of his own son. He delivered us, he transferred us, he redeemed us. And and if it doesn't get any simpler and more dramatic than this, at the end of verse 14, and the forgiveness of sins. He forgave us. We've been talking about this the last few weeks, but when you sin, you feel guilty, right? Sin, you feel guilty. And, And it's like, it's like having a fever, Right? It's having a fever. The fever tells your body and your mind, hey, there's something wrong in you. There's something wrong in you. And I want to tell you the guilt of our own sin tells us that there's something wrong in us. I I know that you can talk yourself out of it. I know that there's ways to cover it up. But the issue that, that you have with God is not the, the, the guilty feelings you have, it's the sins that you've committed. And I want to tell you, the Father loved us so much that he sent his son. Why? That his son would take our place so that he could forgive us of our sins. Forgiveness. He delivered us, he transferred us, he redeemed us, he forgave us. I want to give you three things as we end our time together. I want to ask you the question, where do you live? Where do you live? Are you in the domain of darkness or are you in the kingdom of his beloved son? I want to tell you, you can't earn your spot in the kingdom of his beloved son. It has to come on on the work of his beloved son. Domain of darkness or kingdom of his beloved son. Number two, Are you constantly mindful of God's work in your life? God's work in your life. Do you wake up in the morning and are you proud of all that you have done and all that you have accomplished and how great you are? No. 
Would you wake up in the morning and be thankful, thankful for the work that God has done on your behalf? And then to remember, thirdly, that this day, this season, but even after this season, it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of what he has done. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for loving us and changing us and saving us and and even marking out a path before us that that you'd strengthen us to do. And God, we thank you uh, for all that you've done, the riches that you've poured out on us in your son, Jesus. God, we thank you uh, for the redemption, for the transfer. Uh, that you, you are a God who loves us so much that you didn't want to leave us where we were, but you wanted to change our residence. God, God, I ask that you would help us to remember the deliverance, the transfer, the redemption, that you purchased us with a price, that we might have the forgiveness of sins. God, we're grateful to do your work in your church that we might be worshipers of you fixated on the riches that we have because of Jesus. We're thankful in Jesus' name, amen.